Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Mom deserves better than a drugstore card. This Mother's Day, surprise her with a truly special personalized card from Moonpig. Add your favorite photos, a heartfelt message, and we'll even mail it for you the same day, all for just $5. From mom to grandma, we have something to celebrate every mom in your life. Every mom deserves a Moonpig card. Get 50% off your first card at Moonpig.com. Moonpig.com Welcome to Cheaper Than Therapy, a podcast that journeys into conversations that demystify, destigmatize, and desensitize what goes on both inside the therapy room and in daily life. I'm Vanessa Bennett. And I'm Danae Logan. And we are seekers, soul sisters, and holders of sacred space. Every week, we sit down for soul-provoking conversations with fellow seekers, thought leaders, change makers, and even real people during live coaching sessions as they navigate the hard work it takes to be a human. This is Cheaper Than Therapy. We have news for you all. Yeah, we are so excited to share that as so many of you have asked for us to host more than just one week-long immersive experience, we are bringing another retreat into the fold this year. And this time we're headed to Nosara, Costa Rica, June 3rd through 10th. Yeah. We heard you. We heard you. We're doing more. We're trying. (laughs) This time, though, we're actually bringing in two of our dear friends and colleagues to come along with us and join the party. So we're going to have Ashley Torrent and Millie Murillo there. Um, And honestly, the four of us together, I don't know, our powers Mm -hmm. combined, drawing from our collective work in the healing modalities of psychotherapy, coaching, mediumship, astrology, somatic movement, group processing, all the things. We'll be supporting you all in reclaiming every aspect of the most fulfilling life you can possibly live. It's going to be such a transformational week. I'm so excited already. And if you are interested in learning more, you can go to the link in either of our social bios or head over to Vanessa's website at vanessabennett.com. And we have payment plans available for this one as well. Yeah, definitely hit me up on email if you want to know more about that. We are super excited and we hope to see you all there. Hey guys, welcome back to another episode of Cheaper Than Therapy. Um, We have something fun and a little bit different to share with you guys today. So Vanessa and I recorded a conversation that we had in our new online Cheaper Than Therapy community, which is really... um, you know, just a passion project that we've had in the works for a while. And we 
launched our first workshop in the community a couple weeks ago and decided to record it and share some of the conversations that we had in that workshop with you guys um, in a two-part series of episodes. And so in this first episode, a couple of the things that we got into with everyone who was in the workshop were um, topics around self-abandonment, what it means when we're actually saying self-abandonment, what we're talking about. Because we talk about it so often. (laughs) (laughs) Right. Um, When it's harder to face our own truths um, than it is to change some of the patterns and how we get started doing that work. And then, you know, being in the space where we've recently ended a relationship and just having trouble dealing with it because, you know, it being a bad relationship, it not being a bad relationship, excuse me, but also knowing that it wasn't the right fit for me at this point in my life and how hard that can be. So just some like really juicy questions and topics that we got into in this episode. I really loved this conversation. Yeah. I love to be able to bring this to you all so that you can kind of like fly on the wall, listen to how Danae and I also tend to lead groups. I mean, this was a little bit more of a workshop, but we definitely engaged with some questions and kind of Mm -hmm. did some back and forth. And so if you are interested, we are just now opening our private community to the public. We had a small group in there with us for a few months, kind of testing out the platform and being our guinea pigs. And Mm -hmm. we're ready to kind of open the doors, right? So like Danae said, we're calling it the Cheaper Than Therapy community. And Mm -hmm. you can find the link to sign up in either one of our bio links on Instagram um, or on TikTok. I'm going to actually put it on my website soon. But just so you know, Every single week, actually, Danae and I lead smaller process groups. These are going to be not recorded and they're going to be on a a variety of topics, right? So whether it's my codependency recovery, Danae leads a spirituality group, a relationships and love group. Um, I have a support group that I'm starting for people that are also in the healing space. So coaches, therapists, Um, I've actually been working in there already with some nurses, people in the medical field. So that's already starting to kind of take form and be a really amazing group. And then we're also going to plan to have two live workshops every month, one led by Danae and I, and then one led by a guest speaker. So somebody who we love from the Cheaper Than Therapy, um, Cheaper Than Therapy community, you know, people we've had on, people that you all have loved to have written in and said, oh my God, this guest was amazing. You know, this, this conversation changed my life. We, we get a lot of those kind of DMs. So we're going to be reaching out to some people to get a really juicy calendar together for you all. So again, we're just launching it publicly. We're making it super affordable for a reason. We want this to be as accessible as possible to as many people as possible. So come on in. The water's warm. And uh, yeah, you can look out for the bio link. Sign up. Yeah. Can't wait. Started. And so just a little idea of what it'll be format wise for our workshop today. Vanessa and I asked um, you guys in the group and also on social media to submit some questions that came up around the topic of self-abandonment. We got some really great questions. So we're going to dive into the questions and use them just sort of as some jump off points for conversation starters. And we'll dig in a little bit. We'd love to hear you guys' thoughts and we'll just do it a little bit. um, Yes, process, but also like us workshopping, whatever the conversation starters are, right, Yeah. So Some of you have heard us talk about the term self-abandonment ad nauseum, but we will do it again because we love to talk about it. It's our jam. Um, Let's just start with a base level of what we mean when we say self-abandonment for anybody who's new here and hasn't heard us talk about it a million times, right? So um, 
when I talk about self-abandonment, the way I talk about it is anything that essentially, any behavior, any action, any thought that essentially makes you uh, disconnect from yourself, right? So disconnect from your truest self, from your intuition, from your gut, from who uh, you are actually truly meant to be or are becoming, right? So uh, in terms of codependency, right? We see that a lot in our codependent behavior. So people pleasing, for example, or not upholding boundaries as an example would be specific behavioral examples of self-abandonment, right? Because I'm going against what my true authentic self um, actually desires, actually knows is right for me. Uh, and I'm doing that out of mostly fear, right? And around maintaining attachment um, versus standing kind of in my authenticity. What yeah. do you want to add, Dave? Yeah, I think Vanessa's partner, John, often talks about trading our truth for membership. And all of us need attachment. It's one of our most fundamental human needs. We need a sense of belonging. We need to um, be a part of the tribe, the community for survival. Um, but we realize at some point in our lives that we have been often trading that need for attachment. Um, well, we've been sacrificing an a certain amount of authenticity in order to experience that. And so when we realize that we have been sort of suppressing an authentic self in order to maintain attachments, um, there comes a point of reckoning with that. And if we don't have that reckoning, I think that lack of a reckoning manifests in all of these different ways, right? And sometimes that feels like resentment. Sometimes that feels like outbursts of anger. Sometimes that feels like contention in our partnerships. But it's often that I am not being an authentic version of myself because I'm attempting to maintain attachments or maintain relationships with other people. So we'll talk about a little bit how that shows yeah. up in questions, I think. Awesome. Um, so maybe we can, you want to start off with one of the questions and we can just kind of let the conversation go from there. Sure. Yeah. Do you want me to pick or you pick? <laughs> you pick if you want. I mean, there's a bunch no, of them. Go for it. Yeah, you go for it. Okay. Um, this one as a, as a jumping off point, ready? When it is harder to face our own truths than change patterns, how do we start that? When it's harder to face our own truths than change patterns. How do we begin? How do we start that work? I mean, <laughs> I think it's, first of all, I think as we always say, even the recognition that I am having a hard time facing a truth is a huge part of the um the the process and the work. But Loretta, since you're saying that <laughs> question, I'd love to hear like a tangible because I, I I really struggle a lot of times with like the vague. So like if there's a tangible way that sometimes that shows up, if you'd give us an example, Loretta, I would I'd love to hear it and I'd be very grateful. Uh, I think it was in the resentment podcast. You, Vanessa, you had mentioned it is definitely harder for us to change course, um, get out of our shadows or familiarity when we must, when we confront the truth sometimes about ourselves. And that is a grieving process. That is very painful. And so I'm just wondering, you know, if we are in denial of that a lot because it's mm -hmm. shadow um, mm -hmm. or if we don't even see it, how do we start to turn the mirror um, towards ourselves? And it's, having a lot to do with what you're saying about fear as well. So I just wanted to get some more perspective. I couldn't fit that all in this small bubble, uh, the question <laughs> bubble on Instagram, but 
Thanks for allowing me. No, that was literally my question. I actually, (laughs) I see. I thought you were saying, well, I had that question too. Um, What's coming up for you, V? Yeah. I mean, I was thinking how we can talk about this broadly and then we can talk about it in the specifics. So the original thing that's like, I guess what's initially coming up is this concept that we talk about all the time of like, you can't unsee what you've already seen. You can't unknow what you've what you know, right? That doesn't mean that we will act on that seeing or that knowing every time, but it means that it's there, right? And so I actually did, um, I posted something actually on my Instagram the other day that was a clip from our January retreat where I was talking about, and those of you who've taken CODA classes with me before have heard me talk about this idea of like constantly coming to a fork in the road, right? And it's that fork where you get to say, okay, I have an opportunity. I have an opportunity to act on some of the things that I've been working on or some of these these shadow elements of myself that have been coming to the surface, right? And so in this moment, I'm going to either, you know, go left and do the thing I've always done, which is easier short-term, but harder long-term, right? Or I'm going to do the thing that's super hard in the moment, um, that short-term is going to be painful, but long-term is going to have a better payoff, right? And what I was talking about in that video was really this concept of shame, shame around sometimes making the choice that actually is more of the short term versus the long term. And the reason why I was speaking about this, because I hear this a lot. It's like, yeah, but I know this. I know. I mean, should I do this to myself? I probably just said this today a couple of weeks ago about myself. I know this. Why am I still doing this thing? You know? Um, and I think we really do a disservice to ourselves when we don't recognize our humanness. We don't recognize how hard doing the long-term thing actually is, right? And also when we say that doesn't make my work any less valuable, it doesn't make, make any of the growth that I've gone through any less big and, you know, important, um, or, or hard. It just is that I am human and sometimes I'm going to make that choice. Now, the caveat I give is the caveat of recognition of consciousness around that choice, right? So if I am unconsciously continuing to perpetuate patterns over and over again, that's very different than coming to that fork in the road and going, okay, this is really fucking hard, but right now I'm going to do short-term gain because maybe in this moment, that's all I can tolerate. Maybe I've had a really hard week. Maybe my nerves are frayed and what I can't tolerate anymore right now is any more friction. And so I'm going to do the thing that feels like easier for me, right? But I'm super conscious of that so that when I get through that on the other side, I can say, okay, what was that? What was going on for me? Why do I feel like I did that, right? Not in a beat myself up kind of way, but in more of like a, let's do a post-mortem on the situation kind of way, right? Um, so I think there's a little bit of that maybe in the question that you're you're asking, Lorda. Um, it's just like, how do I, once you see, you can't unsee. Um, I don't know, Danae, what's coming up for you? Well, I think this is, you know, and those of you who have done workshops with Vanessa and I understand this is a little bit of how we work that Vanessa tends to bring us into like the, tangible, like in life, like how we tackle this in a real world basis. And then I tend to zoom out a little bit with like the ethereal, like, and then like how we hold this on a soul level a lot of times. Right. And to me, the thing about these things that are out of alignment with our soul, which is what I feel like you're speaking to, um, to a certain extent, Loretta is the universe will bring us back into alignment. And so, you know, Oprah talks about it like God speaks to us in whispers. The you often speak to it in the form of like feather, brick, Mack truck. Um, these things that we don't feel ready to tackle or confront 
yes, we can see it and I don't feel ready to do anything about it. Mm-hmm. It's okay. I promise the universe will bring us back into alignment. That's just how give us opportunity. (laughs) And so it's like, if I'm not ready, the universe will keep turning up the heat and eventually it will be so hot in whatever the situation is, whatever the behavior pattern is that we have no choice, but to move, you know, the universe makes us so uncomfortable a lot of times that we have no option left. So I say that to say like, yes, I agree with everything that Vanessa saying, and I think that's a little bit how I hold myself with compassion in the the space of I'm not ready to shift or do the thing that some part of me knows I need to do. And I would offer, and it's fine because I promise you, the universe is not going to allow you to stay comfortable living out of alignment with what your soul has come here for, um, is my two cents. Yeah. And I, I love that you, the way that you posed it though, or the way that you kind of ended it, was how do we, how do we start this work? I think the answer is you already are, right? I mean, it is like once you get to that place of seeing and knowing, you're already on that journey. You've already done that part of the work, right? You have started the journey. And so um, I think even starting to do the inner inquiry of what are some of these shadow elements? What are some of these things that are creating this feeling of being out of alignment in my life, in my relationship, you know, in my work, whatever that is, um, that is the start. You're already there. Um, and so just because you're not doing the quote unquote right thing every time, you're not making that, you know, taking that left turn versus right every single, that doesn't mean you haven't started it. You know, it means that you're on the path that is part of the journey is actually coming to those forks pretty consistently. Um, you know, I mean, look, I'll even give an example. It's like, I, it shows up a lot with how I relate to like my mom, for example, I know the way in which I want to act with her. And sometimes I know it's easier in the moment to just do the thing that I've always done. Maybe it's a little bit of placating. Maybe it's a little bit of like, I don't want to do the hard thing right now. It's just easier to keep it, you know, copacetic. Um, but again, there's consciousness in when I'm doing that and why I'm doing that. And sometimes I reflect on it after the fact. And, you know, not again, not to beat myself up, but to say, okay, you did it this time because of this reason. Next time we'll try to do it differently. Um, Yeah. I love that example. And I think it's so funny, like if we're talking about her mothers, which I feel like we all are (laughs) as the example of activation, right? Um, I remember having a very specific conversation with my therapist at a point where I don't remember what we were talking about in regards to my mother, but she was like, you're not ready yet to have that conversation, but there will come a point when you will be. And Vanessa knows like the precise moment because she knows because I called her like, <laughs> um, but there was a moment that my mother said something that activated something that yeah. felt like a Mack truck thing to say to me. And the fallout from it, the explosion from it was a turning point in our relationship where things were never the same, will never be the same. Mm-hmm. And it's beautiful because there were boundaries set. There were ways that I said things and created clarity in the way that we would and would not interact with one another that have shifted the relationship forevermore. And so I think to the point that you're making be like, there were ways that I wasn't ready to have certain conversations, to confront certain things. And then the universe said, well, well, here's a bone. <laughs> here's a way that she is going to, um, confront you with something and it's going to be one of those like do or die moments. And I think that life gives us those, but in the meantime, um, we have to hold ourselves with like, this is where I am right now. And it's exactly mm. where I'm meant to be. Right. Yeah. Okay. Here's, here's another one. I think this is a good one. Therapy speak and air quotes, therapy speak 
and its impact on empathy and relationships. Oof. I like this one. I saw that and I love that question. Yeah. This is something that comes up with couples so much. The ways that um, as much as we love like the heightened awareness of therapy jargon and it's become like a part of pop culture, I see a lot of weaponizing. Mm. Um you know, that you're gaslighting me, you're narcissist. narcissist. I have a client that's like, my husband tells me I'm like a covert narcissist. Is that true? I'm like, well, I don't know. Is, it, is he in the business of diagnosing people? Is that what he does? Um, but I do think that there's ways that it's just become really normalized to mm-hmm. to talk to one another, like in a little bit of a pathologizing tone, if you know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I was just actually, the reason why I love this question is because I was just talking about this on a podcast yesterday that I was on where um, a lot of times we use the jargon as a way to hide, right? It's another way to other somebody else. It's another way to make me feel better about myself, to kind of put myself on a pedestal, right? And to make you in like a one down position because that makes my ego feel better. Uh, that I am more knowledgeable over somebody else, or I do something better than somebody else, right? I have some kind of inside knowledge. Um, but you know, the, what I was actually speaking to yesterday when somebody was asking something similar, as I said, there was a point, I don't remember what podcast it was, but Jack Cornfield made this comment where he was talking about how, you know, that even Jesus of Nazareth would go home and he would go home to visit his parents. And you know, Mary and Joseph were like, I don't give a shit who you think you are you're in my house, sit down, eat your food. <laughs> like, you know, and he was talking about this and he said Siddhartha as well. Like, I don't care. He would go home and they'd be like, yeah, you're just Siddhartha. Duck. Like, I don't care if you think you're Buddha, you know? And I think I laugh about that, but it is, it is an interesting kind of way of looking at when we start to do this work, when we start to really embody this work, if we start to weaponize it, isn't that kind of, aren't we kind of missing the point? Like, it isn't the, I guess it's like, if I notice that I'm doing that, if I notice that I'm holding this over somebody's head, it's probably actually providing me more opportunity to look in the mirror. Because if I'm using it to other, I'm missing a little bit of the point of some of the deeper work, right? Yeah. And well, first, before I respond, I just want to say, um, or respond to what you just said. If you guys have questions, or if something comes up, please feel free to like, raise yeah, your hand please. Time because we want you guys to be a part of the conversation. But Yeah, I think whenever there's a finger pointing at someone else and we talk about this in the context of shadow work, that means there's three more fingers pointing back at me for me to be curious about and take some responsibility for. And so if, for instance, I am calling my partner a covert narcissist, for me, the immediate response is, and what part of me is attracted to someone that I think that is true of, right? Like everybody's like my ex-boyfriend, ex-whatever was a narcissist. And it's like, okay, great. That is whoever that person is. But I think our work becomes, and what part of me was attracted to that? Or how can I take ownership of the fact that I was in a relationship with someone who either at some point um, was giving me something that I needed, or even, you know, I was, I don't know, there's some part in that, that I need to take responsibility for Mm -hmm. looking at like, what part of me was drawn to that? Or what part of that dynamic was I um, an active player in. Right. And so I think it just becomes really easy to point out other people's shortcomings. But if we believe that our relationships are always a mirror showing us aspects of ourselves that, um, 
we need to look at, we need to heal through, and I believe that they are, then I don't know, like pointing the finger at someone else's pathology is really taking away from the opportunity I have to take personal responsibility for what they are showing me through their behavior pattern. But even as I say that, does that feel activating to anyone? Do you guys have any um, resistance? Because I'd love to hear it. I'd love to hear your resistance. (laughs) (laughs) Nope, totally agree, Danae. No resistance. (laughs) Resistance you really made it feel real safe and we'll have resistance. Like, oh, I'd love to hear it. I'm not taking off my earrings. I'm just kidding. All right. This one too. Ready? And this wait. And, 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 and. Oh, okay. Uh, I was just going to say, I, I am feeling a lot of resistance towards that, specifically uh, okay. about like my last relationship and just thinking about like, why do I feel so attracted to someone who's clearly emotionally not, not available? Oof. And I, and I keep going back and I keep telling myself I'm not going to go back and I keep going back and I keep getting the pause. And so it's just like that for me has been like super sobering. So. Oh, big breath. You know, as someone who tends to be attracted sometimes to emotionally unavailable people, I just want to offer that I think that there's a fair amount of emotional unavailability that we have to have within ourselves to be attracted to that. And, you know, a lot of times someone who is really present and really showing up and really wants to give you a hundred percent of their energy and attention can feel boring or like a turnoff or like, it doesn't do it for me. Too much. Yeah. Because it just feels like, then I really have to be there with you. Then I really have to like, get into like, you have to like, I have to let you see me in all of the ways that someone who's emotionally unavailable, they're not interested in that. Like, I don't have to like, let them see my messy, messy bits, right? Because they're here half the time, and then they're running off and, you know, in their own world. But it, it can be really confronting, I think, a lot of times to be with someone who's like, no, I, um, I want to be here and see all of you. Um, but how does that feel? I mean, I agree with that. It's kind of wild. Like, and I think about my relationship before this relationship and I'm like, it was like the reverse and I felt very much that's, it's just very, very interesting for me to like process all of this, like all of these experiences combined is really, really interesting. So yeah, yeah and last game, I love, sorry. I, uh, I would say too, you know, obviously because we've, we talk all codependency so 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 often so long we've been talking about this stuff you know we talk about how codependency is in and of itself an addiction right and so I remember a long time ago still being in my last relationship and Zanae was the first one that said to me um you know because my ex-partner was was actually you know addicted to substance was not had a problem with alcohol I remember her saying to me um you know, he's in a relationship with the alcohol, like you're the third wheel, right? You're the third person in this relationship. There's only so much vulnerability and so intimate somebody can get with you when they're already kind of committed to this other thing, right? And when I look at it in terms of the person who struggles with the codependency, which we also know is an addiction, right? Um, I also have to check myself and how vulnerable and intimate I show up because if I'm hiding behind, uh, you know, the not rocking the boat, the staying saying the thing I know they want to hear, the people pleasing, the the over-functioning, like whatever my patterns are, I am actually blocking my intimacy, my own intimacy, my own vulnerability, right? Because I'm hiding. I'm not being authentic. I'm not being real. And so 
in a lot of ways, when we say these people who are not emotionally available, again, the opportunity to turn around on myself and say, well, what behaviors am I exhibiting that are very clearly behaviors of showing that I'm not emotionally available, right? And usually they're the ones I just gave, um, like whatever, however that codependency shows up for you. Um, I think a lot of times that's a very tangible way because a lot I hear this idea of being emotionally unavailable used a lot. And sometimes for me, it feels very like, um, it's not tangible. Like I can't, like, what does that mean, right? In practice to be not emotionally available. I would say that if I had to give a tangible answer to what it means to be emotionally unavailable, it would be, I'm hiding behind things, right? I'm not showing up in a way to use Danae's saying, like to show my truly messy bits. That's not showing my messy bits. If I'm saying the thing I know you want to hear in order to placate and not rock the boat the opposite, right? So if anybody's thinking, like I would think, what does that look like in, in practice? That's, I think, what it looks like in practice. Yeah. Be unavailable. I love that you said that, V, because I think that it can be like our emotional unavailability can be very covert, even to yes. us. Like yes. my therapist will totally be like calling me out on the like, like, I am very uncomfortable with anger. I will own that. Like, it is still like, I will rationalize myself out of some anger. I will like get into like the why, like it, it, like you're, you're being ridiculous. Like, here's the ownership you can take. Like, I'm like, it's like, I'm a black belt at it. I can do it so quickly. And a lot of times it's because there's wounding around like what an angry woman, what an angry black woman is. And like, I, I'm not comfortable there. And so mm. I, I will like shut it down, but that's not the full range of my emotions. That's not me oftentimes being in full authenticity. And yeah. so if I am not willing to show that aspect of myself because it makes me feel like if you see this, that I'm not lovable. Well, that's me being emotionally unavailable. That's me suppressing a part of my authentic self and not allowing that to be seen. But I, I like trick myself, right? So I think yeah. that's a really important point you're making, B, because a lot of times it'll be like, no, I was there. I was totally available. I was there like ready to love this person and they just wouldn't love me. And that had nothing to do with me. And it's like, well, there might've been some ways though that you were yeah. like, keeping part of yourself under wraps, right? Yeah. And to kind of build on what you were saying, Angela, like even in your last relationship, when it was the opposite, I would actually kind of still challenge you to think about the behaviors that you were exhibiting in that relationship. And if they actually truly were emotionally available or not. <laughs> I think that's a completely fair point. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. Sometimes it is. It's like, oh, I swung the other way. It's like, well, maybe the other person feels different, but are you showing up differently? Like what is, how is the flavor and how you're showing up different, you know? Um, maybe you were course correcting, like maybe there are different ways that you're showing up in this relationship than the last one. Maybe it's just changed shape. I don't know. Yeah. I think what I think is interesting is that I feel like for maybe a period of maybe four months, I felt really strong in like staying with myself. And then there was like what I will call it like an event ish that I kind of just lost myself. I just, mm -hmm. I just decided to very slowly let past behaviors kind of seep back in. And it wasn't until like, I just saw my ex last week and we both kind of came to this point of like, okay, like we're kind of seeing a lot of things that we both did. And like, there's this admission on both ends of like what happened and mm. a way that's like validating for both of us, but not really sure how to like, in order for us to like be healthy again, in my opinion right now, I'm like, I'm kind of feeling like maybe I just need to enter a new space that doesn't have that baggage. Mm. 
or like I'm also asking myself like is it possible like this is a really this relationship in particular I feel like does I, a lot of things you're saying like I feel like I can see how it's a mirror in a lot of ways that like if we can get past some of this a lot of this the hurt feeling like could be a really good mirror for us to both grow like it sounds like there's intention to both for both of us to want to grow together in a lot of ways but at the same time like if we've lost the fun exciting mm. part of it and it's just all work all the time I, I don't know where to go from there but anyways i'm not i think it's a, a divergent path for their conversation but i, I uh, think i'll stop there yeah. no i mean i I don't know if you're about to jump in, V, but um, I think it's actually useful probably for the group because mm-hmm. I think when we have taken a pause or had a breakup with someone and we're sort of in that space of revisiting, like, can we give this another go? Can we see what um, this could be now? Something, again, that John says that I tend to draw from a lot is what would be different. But a lot of times what I think we're doing an inventory of is what would be different about that other person. Yeah. And to me, it's more about like, one, where am I different? But also, what am I hearing from this person in terms of what they're articulating that is different about them that they understand? Or mm-hmm. where have I grown that I am speak like I'm speaking to you, Ange, about that, right? Like, here's what I understand about our dynamic before that I couldn't see then that I could see now. That to me ends up being a really good indicator of like, it's not going to just be us replaying the pattern of what happened. Um, But I think where we can get into trouble is sort of like attempting to continue to go back and relitigate some of the things that have happened between us in the past. Mm -hmm. I don't think that ends up meeting one another in a really loving energy of like forward momentum. But if each of us are taking responsibility for here's what I understand about our dynamic now that I couldn't see before, then I think we have a chance to really create something new. You know what I mean? That's kind of reassuring. And also like, it makes me feel like where we are right now is a place of like there's a potential for us to to consider getting back mm-hmm. together but it is it does really feel like very intentional and like breaking patterns and like the way that yeah. we were together this past week like felt like it could really have easily gone back into that space where like okay let's try this again and then it just as another moment of like like deep hurt mm-hmm. like but it it feels different and it feels uh like there needs to be this moment of like letting things clear before even genuinely like, seriously considering any kind of movement forward but also like there does seem like there's we're both in the space of like we both need our own moment to ourselves mm-hmm. um but yeah and everything you're saying resonates so for for holding space for that. Thank you. Yeah. Mm. Just say when you don't know what to do, do nothing. Mm-hmm. Okay. I want to read this next question. Yeah. Yep. I recently ended a relationship and I'm not going to out the person who wrote it. So if like Loretta, you want to say it, it's up to you. But if not, I'm not going to say names. <laughs> you should say Loretta if you want to say no, no, no. She didn't say it. Oh, no. The last question, I wasn't going to say who the name was. And she was like, oh, that was mine. Oh, like, I was like, did you just out Loretta? <laughs> so if, if you are the person, it's up to you to say it, right? Okay. I recently ended a relationship and I'm having trouble dealing with it because it wasn't a bad relationship. We were actually really great together, but I am Christian and he was not. 
Even though we respected each other's values, I felt like it was going to be a future problem. So we talked about it and came to the conclusion to end the relationship on good terms. And basically what they're saying is that it was still really, it's been really hard and they're kind of doubting their decision. I think as a general idea or topic that we can talk about, it's this concept of like being in relationship with others who have different values than you, right? What does that look like in practice? Yeah. You know, I think you and I were just talking about this on today's episode of the podcast. I was listening back to it, but I think that a lot of times what we have been conditioned to believe societally is that if a relationship ends, there needs to be a reason like this person's a bad person, like this isn't sustainable, like um, whatever. And sometimes that's just not the truth. I think um, a lot of times love can continue and alignment is not the thing that is still true, right? Like we are no longer Mm -hmm. in alignment in terms of what our mission for what we're building in terms of relationship is, or, um, you know, we are all going to grow and shift and expand and change. And maybe where we're growing and who we're becoming are just no longer on the same track. And I think sometimes that can be like a no fault zone. You know, I think I've, I've experienced like in my family, like it is very difficult for my family to understand how my ex-husband can be such a good man that I love so much and hold with so much deep reverence. And they're like, then why aren't you with him? And I'm like, because it just wasn't in alignment anymore for us to be in partnership. And it doesn't have anything to do with who either of us are as a person or the love that we have for one another. But I think it's just like a real reframing of like, what is the point of relationships? Mm. And I think for me, relationships are, you know, when it is justified for us to walk the path of life together, because what we are building and what we desire relationally is in alignment, then it makes sense to partner. But if that is not the case, or, you know, that shifts at some point, I think it's really important from my perspective, for us to normalize saying, and that's a no fault zone, like people can still have love, but a lot of times not still be in alignment. But what do you think, me? No, I mean, I agree with all that. I'm also wondering how can we apply this to relationships that are even not romantic, right? Like, how do we apply this to, um, I mean, obviously, we live in a really, really split, um, everybody's different than us, which means they're bad and wrong kind of time in history. And, mm-hmm. you know, I know even like within my own family, um, I mean, I'm a bit of the black sheep because I come from you know, more of a a kind of military background, conservative family. And so I'm kind of the the odd outlier in that. Um, And it's, it's hard. I mean, first, I think we need to just name that there's grieving and, and it's hard when your people, quote unquote, whether that's romantic friend, familial, uh, don't align with your values, right? Um, but is it possible for us to still be in relationship with them? I mean, I think that your relationships can evolve and change and you can establish certain boundaries and certain ground rules about what you will talk about and not talk about and um, participate in and not. But I guess the larger question, I think you're better at this, Danae, than I am is because I have a really hard time getting out of that, like, we either see eye to eye or we don't like I can fall. I feel myself fall into very black and white very easily. Um, and I guess I'm curious to know kind of what that brings up for you in terms of like non non romantic relationships. Yeah. You know, I think that there are, well, I mean, to me it's shadow work, right? Like yeah. things that 
this is like in any of our relationships, the things that are most activating to me become an invitation for me to look inward and say, why is this so hard for me to tolerate in another person? Um, Normally it's because somewhere that either exists within me and it's a part of me that I really am resistant to looking at, or there is some part of me that is hungry to express whatever that person is expressing in a way that I don't feel safe or that I'm allowed to, or, um, you know, it's just like, it's a part of myself that I've disowned. And so I think, you know, if we take it to like the collective conversations, I think that so often if we're talking about like, you know, across the aisle, like these political debates, we're really resistant to seeing where I do the same thing in my own version of that thing. Mm -hmm. And I'm on my pedestal of self-righteousness and like why I am so right. And that person is so wrong from where they are, but I'm not seeing one that I'm often behaving in a very similar way when I'm sort of demonizing another person, they're doing that version and vice versa, but also that I'm becoming like that thing that I say I, I don't like in them that is contemptuous. Like, well, now I'm becoming that. And I think that is what so often happens. Um, like historically, we become like the thing that we hate when we are in the space of hating it. And so I think it becomes where can I like really take inventory of why this feels so hard for me to tolerate. And and the way to do that is, you know, what John always says, seek to understand. Like, if I can understand you, if I can understand how you got to the space you're in, the conclusion that you've come to, for me, it takes away a little bit of the activation point. And, you know, you and I talk about this all the time. I'm like, I'll sit down with anybody. I love it. Like, help me understand why you think differently than me. Um, because a little bit, like, I don't like the icky feelings that it brings up in me to, this is a little bit my, like, I don't like to sit in anger probably, right? But there's, I don't love the space of hating anyone. I don't want to feel that way. So if I feel some sort of like this person's way of seeing the world or their perspective is really activating to me, I want to understand it because it helps me to say, not that like you're right and I'm wrong, but like, where do I do or feel something similar in a way that I have a blind spot to? Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah, I would also say too, what this brings up is this idea that we can, we can see those parts in ourselves and we can feel empathy for the other person and attempt to understand them and still not agree. And I think that's okay, right? I think I see this a lot in relationships. I've been working with a couple recently who have been struggling with this idea of like, you can apologize and not agree, right? It doesn't mean that you have to both be on the same page with whatever the fight was. And you can still apologize and own your part. Like both things can exist at the same time. And I think that's, I think that's hard for people, um, for humans, but I think that it is actually a practice to be able to separate out, like, what is my part? What can I own? Um, how can I show up and be responsible for showing up as my best version of myself? Right. And it's okay that we still don't agree. So going back to that question of somebody saying, you know, I'm Christian, he is not, um, neither is wrong. Right. And and I think that's what they came to. It's like very amicable. Um, and there is grief sometimes where you say neither is wrong and, and there is still a lot of love here and we still can't be in relationship. Right. So whether that's to Marisol's point in the chat about a friend. Right. Or whether that's a romantic partner, or whether that's a parent or a family member. Um, sometimes that is the, the way to go. Sometimes the way to go is we actually in this moment, at least we can't be in relationship with each other. But that doesn't mean that you're a bad person or I'm a bad person. It just means it's not in alignment right now. Yeah, we live in such a black and white, like right, wrong, good, bad, yeah. this, that side. Um, 
where, which is a very wounded masculine experience of society and relationships. And what I, I think we are attempting to invite into the conversation when we are in curiosity about nuance or what else could be true or the shadow work of where is that alive within me um, is the healthier feminine experience of how we can meet one another in relationship and collaboration and um, vulnerability and just like really attempting to empathize. And I think that so much of the time we have a like really visceral resistance to that because it's so much of how we're socialized is like, I won't even dignify that person by sitting down and having a conversation because that must mean I agree. And it's like, what, what? Is it? Why yeah. does it mean that? Or does it just mean that like I I can hold myself, stay with myself enough to hold my truth and still like listen to and be open to being curious about your truth? It doesn't mean I have to abandon myself. But again, that's like the codependency, right? It's like really hard for me to stay with myself in the midst of something that feels other and that feels activating, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's holding the kind of opposing truths, right? Thanks for joining us for this episode of Cheaper Than Therapy. If you enjoyed today's episode, be sure to share it with a friend, subscribe, and give us a five-star review on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. And if you want to connect with us more, find us on Instagram at Cheaper Than Therapy, the podcast. deserves the best and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Mom deserves better than a drugstore card. This Mother's Day, surprise her with a truly special personalized card from Moonpig. Add your favorite photos, a heartfelt message, and we'll even mail it for you the same day, all for just $5. From mom to grandma, we have something to celebrate every mom in your life. Every mom deserves a Moonpig card. Get 50% off your first card at Moonpig.com. Moonpig.com. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.